Hello and welcome to Super Excited with Stefan Roost. I'm Mike, the facilitator of this podcast. In this episode, Stefan talks to Vahid Tusi. Vahid is based in Sweden and just like many people in the Web3 space, he is many things all at once. He is the founder of Hodl's Pack and known XYZ. He is also an advisor at Alien Words, Wax Blockchain, Ultra.io, EOSIO, and Labeland. In this episode, you will hear about Hodl's Pack, which is the first European blockchain SPAC. SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. You will also hear about the transition from TradFi to HiFi, how northern European countries can be slow to grow, the evolution of NFTs, as well as trusted node, truflation, and stable coins. Enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, um, I'm Stefan. Um, yeah, so founder of Laguna Labs, and I'm super happy to be here and today to be talking with Vahid. Um, Vahid Tusi, who is the founder of HODL, which is a publicly listed entity um, uh, focused on crypto. Hey, Vahid. Hey, hey nice to be here. Yeah, no, it's like super cool. So Vahid and I, we, we, wait, we basically go back, what, some five, seven, seven years, I think, in crypto yeah. land, which is like yeah. <laughs> super long, right? It's like, like yeah, right? Um, it's really good fun. Yeah, we met on um, a boat. On a boat, yeah, we yeah met exactly. On, yeah, exactly. We met on a boat on the Swedish archipelago, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah it was, it was, it was. Who was? There was some launch, right? It was some. It launch. was the Ivan on Tech. Ivan on Tech was hosting a, a like kind of like a conference, and we we met on the boat and we hit it off, and yeah, rest is history, I guess. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. history, and and we've always been in touch, right? Um, we did a lot of we even tried to work together on a couple of projects and we did and I finally find a, a couple of sweet spots together. And yeah, I'm a proud investor in, in HODL. Um, maybe, yeah, that. maybe you yeah. <laughs> and Ivan is too, right? So you've got a whole bunch of good people. Maybe share a bit about the experience and how you came to to HODL and, and why what was the genesis behind that um, and, 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 and how you pulled together these great set group of people to help you in that launch and that journey? Yeah, of course. So HODL SPAC is, as you mentioned, it's a publicly traded uh, company. It's yeah. uh, basically, it was me and a bunch of friends where we, I, I, was, I kept getting approached by a lot of TradFi folks talking about, you know, how do we get exposure? How do we get exposure? And we should start a, a fund. I mean, ever since the bull market 2018, yeah. I guess everyone's kind of wanting to start a fund and blah, blah, blah. But then, you know, this last bull market, um, whether we're in it or not still, it was kind of a bit different. Everyone, like a real more traditional folks reached out. And, um, and so I was, I was just basically having a, a dinner with a few friends that are from that world. And uh, we said, why, why don't we just do something, you know, a SPAC? Uh, we know that, the, well, I have the knowledge from the, uh, the crypto space. They were very, you know, TradFi space. And we said, yeah, let's try to do it. It's fun to have a, a SPAC called HODL SPAC. And it would be the first kind of European SPAC that's uh, focused on blockchain and crypto. So we thought, yeah, why not? It would be a fun thing to do. 
well, you know, we'll have, uh, we can do it with our friends and we get to meet a lot of interesting companies and can kind of get a sense of what's happening in the um, you know, traditional equity market, but for, for blockchain companies. So we thought, yeah, why not? So we listed it and yeah, and then we're now looking for companies to acquire. And, and so from that perspective, right, you look back and, and you've been in, in, in crypto or particularly, you know, one of the lead investors in building up EOS and, and sort of really not investors, but actually builders. And you look at now from all the crypto up, you know, sort of you've lived in and breathed crypto for so long. And now you're entering into sort of the TradFi space. How do you find that sort of whole sort of transition and now dealing with TradFi requirements. How did you find that navigation, navigating that, that whole journey? Well, I would say the whole journey and the whole experience of uh, the TradFi and the listing and all the kind of like yeah. compliance and regulations and all of that made me realize we need uh, DeFi and, and crypto badly. I mean, the, the yeah it's so outdated i mean some stuff were just like you need to physically fill in a form and you know yeah. and, you know it's just it was just not great even though we did in like less than less than three months which i think is yeah, super quick it was super yeah. quick i mean uh, but still it's because we've done a few of these before not spacs but like listings so we had the experience but still i mean it's just too complicated it's it's um but I mean, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm moving away from crypto or blockchain. I would definitely say this is kind of looking at the TradFi space and trying to get them on board to this rather than the other way around. Because I, I, there's, I mean, there's no real reason to leave this space now because like this, yeah. it, it hasn't even started properly. So yeah, that's kind of where my yeah, I think head one of the things that we you know we we talk about it and and, and as well i mean is is um well i particularly i look at sweden or scandinavia right the whole world sort of perceive you know perceive sees scandinavia or sweden as a real innovator right cutting edge right we got really great companies coming out of the you know skype came out or oh, the founders of skype came out of there we've got spotify you've got ikea right so always innovating both in supply chain as well as from a technology perspective so it's interesting to see that even in things like TradFi, it's still not necessarily as innovative as as one would think, right? So that mm -hmm. whole legacy industry is still built up on processes and regulations and frameworks that have been set up in the 19th a century ago, maybe even, right? Yeah, I mean, it's completely true. I mean, we do have these huge I mean, we have these huge Web2 companies as well that are kind yeah. of like, you know, the Spotify, the Klarna, the Candy Crush of the world. So yeah. it, there's yeah. we have a lot of them. It's some fun statistics is that uh, Sweden's about 10 million people. Uh, yeah. Europe's around 500 million people. But we yeah. have 50 percent of the unicorn companies in Europe are Swedish. So. I mean, we, we're really good at building unicorns here in Sweden. I think it's yeah. because we have the like you know uh, global mindset because the market is too small so we can't really build just for the Swedish market we have to build uh, with with the with the world in mind and so I'll, I, I was also get I guess also the kind of like 
the language barrier. A lot of Swedes get to, uh, you know, they're taught English early on in school and it builds kind yeah. of like a culture that you, there is an entrepreneurship culture. The challenge I would say is that those kind of web two companies have been so successful and they've all kind of been on, you know, uh, vesting programs with their employees and like uh, there's this, which has created a lot of fat and happy people. So yeah. the last generation were all kind of on these yeah. vesting programs. You know, why would they leave their very, very high paid job at Spotify to move yeah. over to Web3? So I would say, I mean, now I'm super excited about these younger, you know, uh, early 20s developers that, that can't just, you know, join Spotify and get hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stock options and stuff. They now to need to create their own future. And I think yeah. a lot of them are kind of go to web two when I can do web three stuff. Right. So for that reason, I'm very excited, but I do think that uh, Sweden has kind of fallen behind uh, in, in the blockchain space. I do think it's, it's kind of like, you know, I remember traveling around in China, 2017, 18, and like right. everyone was talking, everyone was talking about, you know, the different protocols you were, dif uh, you, you were kind of like, uh, comparing consensus models and like what what's the next chain yada yada yeah well we're like here in Sweden we, we ba barely knew what Bitcoin was so um, I, I, we do have a bit of catching up to do I would say and why do you think that is I mean you know last time I was in Sweden we had uh, we you know we were at the uh, conference or and I was lucky enough to be a speaker at that conference or on the panel and you know there was a huge audience there in in, in an incubation facility in a, a joint work co-working space a lot mm. of young people entrepreneurs mm. and a big interest in largely bitcoin community or bitcoin cash or crypto you know sort of traditional crypto community versus the sort of new proof of stake work um environments yeah. right and, yeah but why do you think they haven't transitioned into sort of web3 um, good question. I think maybe that year was kind of like a, a starting year for, for the uh, crypto adventure in, here in the Nordics, uh, where people kind of like you, I mean, you always kind of like, you move to Bitcoin, and then you, you find your Ethereum, and then you find the Ethereum killers, and then you find the altcoins, and, and then you, go, you, you kind of your flavor gets more and more exotic as you, as you yeah, kind of yeah. go down the rabbit hole. But then after a while, you realize, ah, you know what, I might actually go, because you th start thinking about the fundamentals and like network effects might matter and stuff like that. So maybe now we've, we're back where the the audience are kind of shifting back towards you know the top 20 coins or the top 20 yeah. protocols of blockchains and and they're like okay let's build something slightly more long term uh let's not just go for the next 100x coin so maybe that's where maybe that it started then 2017 18 and now we're kind of seeing seeing the results of it because i mean you do have ivan on tech um that yeah, exactly. is running He's running a very successful wow. company, Morales, uh, Morales, which is yeah. kind of, I mean, which is a year old, uh, but since he was kind of, uh, he was hosting the conference that we went to and he, I'm sure he inspired a lot of people to, to build stuff. So I don't know, I think we're on our way, but it's, it's been, it's been pretty slow to be honest. 
Interesting. So, yeah. yeah, because, you know, it's like there's a lot of innovate. I mean, you got Ivan on tech, as you mentioned, you have Christian Ander who launched the yeah. exchange there. You have yeah. Safello, you know, Frank, yeah, yeah. who's launched yeah, a big yeah. exchange. You, I mean, you've been a huge innovator in terms of trying to bring payments and innovation on top of EOS. Um, and, and there's a lot of data centers, right? So a lot of the validator nodes and data centers where ETH is mined or Bitcoin is mined are all up in Scandinavia as well, right? So mm. there has been a tradition in doing that. And maybe it's just the next generation that needs to come into this and realize, ooh, now Web3 is a politically correct, good name. It's not yeah. tarnished by Bitcoin or exactly. cryptocurrencies, right? So I mean, it's, honestly, like, it's a tech... <laughs> yeah, the, the dude or the dudette that came up with the word uh, or the framing of Web3 instead of crypto or blockchain should get a Nobel Prize in marketing, seriously. <laughs> I mean, yeah. now if you mention cryptos to someone, still some people are like, oh, and uh, no, I, I, that's just for drug dealers and, you know, uh, yeah, exactly. yeah, anti-sanction stuff. But like Web3, people are embracing it. And it's, yeah, it's, I, I, yeah that person needs to get a, some sort of, price definitely so yeah yeah and i think web3 is like it's such a big broad terminology right and includes anything from blockchain itself to the actual cryptocurrencies yeah. through to DeFi, and includes yeah. nfts metaverse etc and i think you're working on some really interesting projects around nfts and have some interesting domains, right? I mean, maybe yeah. do you want to do shed some light on, on yeah. sort of your ideas and what you're trying to do with NFTs? Yeah, of course. So we have a, um, a project with the working name Nifty Nordics, where we're trying yeah. to basically onboard people from the Web 2 world onto the Web 3 world and anything that comes yeah. with it. Because um, I own the domains nft.sc .dk.fi and .no, which are the Scandinavian wow. domains. So we thought, why not? Worth just, a lot, right? Just yeah, alone the domain names. Yeah, actually, NFT.fi has got a lot of dot finance, right? So yeah. people are like, ah, someone actually made a bid, and I'm like, why would you want Scandinavian domains? And like, ah, they they want the .fi one. Uh, <laughs> So, so uh, anyway, so we thought, why not kind of um, with the community that we, that we do have and the kind of the, um, the people we know, why don't we build a kind of like an onboarding ramp uh, to the Web3 world and using the Web2 uh, assets like the domains are. Um, so we, we have this idea of kind of just, you know, educating, informing, and then onboarding people into this space um, and, you know, kind of hold their hand while, while they're trying to get on this adventure. I think it's a, it's a, it's a fun thing to do because you kind of get to, you need to go into regulations, compliance, uh, yeah. you know, GDPR, you need to do all those kind of stuff. And while you're doing yeah, it, you're also yeah. educating, you know, you're educating the IRS, you're educating the, the legislators, you're kind of like, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting conversation to have, actually. Um, interesting. Yeah. So that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things is, you know, I think with NFTs, it has, it has created an emotion, a stronger emotional attachment beyond just financial towards crypto and, and web three, if you will, right? And so um, 
all of a sudden, you know, people can see a picture, they can see an image, and they can see how that then manifests itself um, into being on a Web3. It can be mm. all the features and benefits that you have from Web3 or crypto um, are now in an image that allows me to have an ape as an image or have a mm. gorilla or a tiger or whatever it is that you want to have mm. as yeah. an NFT. Yeah. yeah, and on, and I also think this is something you've not you and I have talked about uh, as as yeah. well, and I think it's kind of like the the more evolved the NFTs get, I think the more utility they will get, and the yeah. more utility they get, you can you have utility either in the in the uh, virtual world or the physical world. If you just want to be in the virtual world, well, then the utility could be global, uh, yeah. but if you want to be in the physical world well then it has to be local uh or at least i mean if i have if if a calf if nfts are used as let's say reward programs for a, a coffee shop or whatever i'm not a really i mean if i get a free coffee in korea tomorrow that's not going to make my life any uh, you know any nicer but if i get one here in stockholm well then th that's nice so i think the more utility we add to the NFTs, the more local it will get. So we think it's important to kind of, you know, have that local representation of um, of NFTs and kind of like, I mean, NFTs are a, a possibility to kind of like uh, transfer culture, transfer uh, ownership, transfer something. And I do think a language is important in, in that sense. How do you interpret it, the culture and, and create an NFT out of it? Or like there's a lot of artists here in Sweden that are just Swedish. They're not like they don't have a fan base outside of uh, outside of Sweden. Uh, or I mean, even you can have an artist that's just known in his village with uh, 5000 people. But those 5000 people might be interested in supporting him somehow. There's like, OK, let's create that framework. So it's not just about the bored apes and the punks. It's more about the, you know, anyone that wants to create anything. And that could be a person with a fan base of 500 people. If, you know, if every, every person gives him $10 a month, well, that's, yeah, totally. that's, so he can, you know, maybe work a few time, a few hours less in yeah. his ordinary job and, you know, pursue his dream. So I think that's the kind of framework we're working with and, the mindset we're working with that culture needs to be local somehow or localized. Um, so, yeah, I think, it, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I totally see that. Right. And, and, and we're already seeing models of those trans, you know, evolve. Right. So you're seeing what what I think they, we call now, you know, I think I know we're calling community owned organizations. Right. So and that ownership can be represented it represented in the form of an NFT. So it's like a membership, a club, right? Or a partnership or that loyalty card to a coffee yeah. shop. And it could be community owned, right? Because we all bought that NFT. We think that coffee needs to be that much or it should have that chocolate cake. So I want mm. to support that chocolate cake with, with a specific NFT. And I always get yeah. one for, you know, or I get it at 10% discount or something yeah. like that, right? Yeah. And so Definitely. those are great ways. Yeah. And I mean, as, as you're saying as well, imagine if we did, uh, it, it was community owned and during Corona, when everything's shutting down, 
then it's not just one person's uh, issue or problem to how do we stay alive. It's the community's issue or the problem. And you create loyal customers or loyal yeah, owners, exactly. basically. So they can all kind of come together and try to solve things. So I think that community, uh, this whole commu sense of community and sense of ownership is, uh, is something that I, I think um, even though the metaverse is around the corner, I do think that, you know, it's, it's going to be a few years away. Um, so. But I do think to your point, right, you mentioned globalization and, 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 you know, if I go online into the metaverse, I can automatically touch into people anywhere on the planet, right? I don't even know where they are. I may not even know who necessarily is behind that. But we're coming together for a common interest, right? And that could be we're going into a specific environment inside the metaverse. We are on the Ethereum blockchain, so we all believe in the Ethereum protocol. And so all of a sudden there's a shift between this global model, yet on the other hand, there's also a shift between so being hyper-local, right? I really, mm. in my community, what impacts me from a physical environment, mm. yet on the other hand, how do I find people that share this one common interest that I have that is very few people locally, yet on a global basis, there's a large community and I can have very stimulating conversations around mm. that specific topic that maybe nobody's interested in or I think fewer people yeah. in the local level are interested in right i think that's super super crucial actually for for yeah. i mean i i that that's kind of how I, how I felt if i look at my first kind of like uh crypto buddies uh yeah. that are now my yeah. real buddies they were kind of yeah. like i spent most of my time uh chatting with them on telegram it wasn't like i met yeah. them in real life i met them on forums so it's yeah. and they were you know they were kind of at the same same depth in the rabbit hole as i were was uh, yeah. so we could you know talk about the same interest because no one else was, was interested in talking about those was, things yeah. so they were like oh this is great i'm actually feeling uh i am such a big exchange here I, I get i learn a lot i these are the things i can't speak to with my peers my physical peers so definitely yeah. um I agree. I agree. I mean, you and I, uh, we we spend more time on Zoom or phone calls or Telegram than we do in real life. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, somebody uh, was saying that it's 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 super interesting how you built these relationships through forums and through anonymous maybe environments, um, and you build great friends. You build really great friends that you maybe meet for the first time at a conference somewhere, uh, you know, where the, this interest group gathers and comes together, right? So you've got great friends that you meet for the first time. And usually it's always been the other way around, right? You have friends that you've met all the time and you go to the pub together and talk to yeah. or, or yeah. at work alongside each other, right? So it's like yeah. an interesting dichot yeah. the switch in, in, in how established relationships relationships get established yeah i mean if yeah. you think about it, it makes a lot of sense if, i mean when you're younger your parents decide who you basically hang out with their decision yeah. on where to live is where who the people you can pick from uh, yeah. and then you start uh, i mean elementary school is is still their choice but then you start yeah. university that's like okay you hopefully made your decision Sorry. on what you're interested in you're yeah. interested in engineering 
with a lot of engineers now. But engineering is so broad. So then you, you start a job and you're like, okay, I started this job, uh, but like in the engineering department is only four people and we're like a hundred people in this company. Then all of a sudden you feel alone. You're like, where's the rest of my crew? Uh, so yeah. then you start looking into interests and then you go online and you find this forum with a thousand engineers uh, that all yeah. want to talk about the same thing. So I guess, what I'm trying to say is that like interest has always been a vertical on how we make friends. Uh, and yeah. it's a good thing because, I mean, it's Got a very you. accurate vertical to, to pick your friends from. Because if you have the same interest, if you're into crypto, there's a lot of other stuff you're also probably into. Um, yeah. And then the, the, the barriers of, you know, building a rapport, a conversation, whatever, lowers a lot. So, yeah, I think... Um, that's that's one of the great things of I guess with the internet and it's been around for a while, but yeah. So And I think that that really has has also allowed and with crypto coming in and a currency coming in, so all of a sudden we can we can have forums and interactions on a global basis, but now all of a sudden we can, thanks to cryptocurrencies, have a trade relationship in a digital environment. Um, transpond, you know, transpiring different borders and geographies um, with each other, which, in my view, is really what is allowing us to connect with each other more because there's an economic uh, exchange as well, which then creates communication. And mm. with that exchange, after the communication, comes a level of happiness and experience with each other that, again, fosters tighter relationships across these different borders and geographies and yeah. a deeper understanding for the different cultures, the different interests etc. Of, of people around the world. I definitely I think what you're saying here is about I, it's so crucial that the cryptocurrency yeah. actually matters. Cryptocurrency aligns the interests. I sometimes get a bit prov provoked by people saying, is people saying, you know, I'm into blockchain, I'm not really into cryptocurrencies. I'm like, yeah. uh, you haven't understood, which, like, how can you, how is that even possible? So, I mean, the, 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 the currency kind of aligns the interests and builds something that is community driven. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's, imagine I'm trying to build uh, uh, Bitcoin without uh, the, the small B, you just have the network. It's like, good luck. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. It would never have grown to where it is today without the small, you know, without the Bitcoins themselves, the, yeah. the currency, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah totally exactly. agree. Yeah, yeah. So um, what are you up to right now? It's uh, what's taking most of your time? Yeah, look, you know, I'm, I'm sort of working on the Guna Labs and we yeah. launched trustednode.io, which is really providing um, retail investors the ability to earn rewards and in with coins they love in coins they mm. love, right? So if you're mm. sitting on coins you love, how do I earn rewards for those coins I love in those coins I love, right? And today you can stake them in a secure in on, on secure infrastructure, node op validator nodes, and you can earn anywhere between 12 up to maybe even 100% APY mm. for helping secure those specific blockchains um, and tie um, and make sure that those infra that infrastructure works. And that's been super interesting. We launched it maybe six, 
maybe four months ago. So we've been building on it for a while and, and the utility features are really now coming to shine. So we're really happy with that and 200 million TVL already, right? Within a wow. four month period. Um, so that was really, yeah, super exciting to see how that's been responding. The token price hasn't reflected that yet, but you know, that's yeah. usually, um, you know, we, we launched unfortunately in a, in a down market. So at some point the market will realize we're building, um, yeah. we were fortunate enough to raise sufficient, sufficient money in the private sale that allowed us to get to where we are today. And I think we can easily go for another period of time. So excited with that. Um, and then we launched. On... Sorry. Sorry, go on. No. Next question. What are your thoughts? Because I know you're working on uh, Truflation. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on like, what happens in a world when we have no idea what the actual inflation is, where everything is just manipulated? What happens? Like, where are we going with this? Uh, I mean, that's a super good. I mean, I, <laughs> I personally think that the world is going more and more crypto, right? And so our validator nodes are going to be the savings bank, if you will, for people that want to hold on to their crypto, keep it safely, yet still earn money with that. Number one. Number two is with the fiat world, you know, when when COVID happened, the government started printing money like crazy and it was transitory. Right. So it's just transitory. Mm. Number one. And number two is they came up with the argument MMT, modern money theory. What was money? What is was modern or is modern money theory? And basically the concept behind that is we can expand and retract money from the market instantaneously. So if we print three trillion, we can pull that out of the market really quickly. And we can do that because we are a monopoly, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and so in a way, in a sense, that is accurate. And I think they can possibly try and do that. But unfortunately, there is not necessarily that monopoly situation now, especially with crypto growing. I mean, bear in mind, crypto is only a two trillion dollar industry versus the real estate industry yeah trillion dollar industry the the gold 10 trillion dollars the stock market another 300 trillion dollars and then derivatives is another quadrillion trillion dollars so yeah, they like, are yeah. still the monopoly in terms of minting and managing money as it's out there but i think the confidence the trust is all slowly crumbling away because of increased regulatory framework, you know, and if you suffer formophobia like I do, or, you know, we don't want to tackle that and work with that. If you suffer, um, you know, uh, if you're in Canada and you're a trucker and then all of a sudden they just snatch your money away, you cannot access it from a bank account. That, of course, creates another level of uncertainty. If you're in Ukraine and you unfortunately are born with a situation where the, you know, the, you're, you're in war, the banks shut down, you have no access to money, how do you pay for goods? Um, crypto can be really handy, particularly non-custodial wallets. If you're in Turkey, you've experienced a lot of inflation, price fluctuation, um, you know, crypto can be super stabilizing, right? If you're in How Russia, you you're going through. Yeah, go ahead. How does Truflation, because uh, I, I um, how does Truflation work? You, you have a basket, like what is the, the setup? So we've, we then sort of looked at that and sort of said, 
how I just can't believe that truflation is 7% or inflation is 7%. So how can we create true indexes that represent a basket and a, a, a scenario that's out there? And so we looked at the inflation model. Number one, it's built on 1920s framework. So we're now in 2020, so a whole cent decade, you know, century later, and we're still working off the same framework from back then when there were no computers, no mobile phones, etc. And so let's take a developer approach to this. Let's look at the basket. So they publish the basket, but they don't actually publish how they allocate the weighting to the product. Hmm. We fulfilled that by about 80% with a developer mindset where we could go out in real time, either scrape from websites or pull from APIs, all of these different data sets as it relates to the items in the basket. Uh, and, and food, rent is not included in CPI, funny yeah. enough. So we included it. Why? Because 30% of the household expenditure is actually rent. You know, 18% is transportation. How do we get the different transportation prices? Um, and then you have health um, and you have education. And so you have all these elements that are in that basket. We aggregate that and then publish what we aggregate, where we aggregate it from. And we have multiple sources for each of the individual items. Um, not all of the items, but individual items. And then we have an algorithm that does the weighting across all of those. Those are then going to be published and the DAO can then elect what and how the weighting should be used. And then the debate is no longer full news, right news, that's good news, that's bad news. But the debate is then around the scientific algorithm that is used to evaluate the five different sources of car prices. How do we weight which one? And then how do we put an output? This is the average car price that is used, right? And then we do that on and on across multiple different um, products. And we pump that out as true CPI. And then we're trying to do that same model across multiple different um, categories, right? So we already take commodities prices, true commodity index on a global basis or on a local basis. Uh, you have true um, real estate pricing, right? So we don't don't go to the registry. We actually go to all the Zillows, the Trulias, the um, the Airbnbs, pull that information and come up with a true real estate, true NFT pricing, true NFT index, true metaverse mm-hmm. index. Mm-hmm. How can we build out these models and, and make them available? Hmm. So it's... Uh, yeah, super interesting. It's a... <laughs> It's, uh, uh, as always, an ambitious project, which I obviously uh, love. So, yeah. I, we, yeah, no, we're I, lucky to have a really good team. We've got 12 people now working on this, data scientists, data architects, uh, data product developers. Um, so, yeah, and then solidity managers, uh, stability, solidity engineers. And so it's good. It's fun. And what do you kind of like vision to be the kind of the final product? What's the, like, what, how do people interact with it? It's gonna, is it gonna be entities? It's gonna be organization, like who will interact with it? Like what's the final vision there? So the final vision is, for example, you go to the supermarket, you buy your eggs, you take a picture of your eggs. This is how much I paid $3 for my eggs. I submit it into, you know, some, some server 
that then feeds it into the calculation. You get paid in the, t in the true tokens for having contributed. So proof of contribution has been achieved. And then that contribution then goes into the mix that you can then go and see what your inflation was for eggs. So you buy, you know, that's one example. So the actual consumer of the data is actually feeding in the price of the products that they're then um, supporting with the data that they're consuming. Number one, so you have a virtuous cycle around that. Yeah. The other thing, yeah, so that's, that's really the ultimate end goal that we like, but also how can we create customized indexes, right? So you today with services like a Genie or a Mint, you can actually see the portfolio of your household expenditure, how much you're spending in entertainment, how much in transportation, in food, uh, grocery shopping, etc., based on your credit card bills or your, mm. your bank account um, that uh, you're connecting to these services. And then they give you a nice pie chart. What is your personal inflation based on that pie mm. chart? How can we provide you with that insight uh, so that you can then go into your next negotiation when you're working or looking to plan your next project or your next contract or your next uh, engagement um, to get paid an additional 10, 12, 50% based on mm. the actual true inflation that you're experiencing mm. based on your personal expenses. Mm. Like it, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's cool, it's really cool. I think it's, uh, it's useful. I, I, just the fact that uh, I feel like maybe this is, has been like a COVID thing, but I feel like people are wa waking up to inflation for the first time yeah. in a very long time. I feel like people didn't really talk about inflation or maybe I've changed kind of the people I hang out with, but like 10 years ago, or maybe I've matured and I realized that, oh, <laughs> we, need to, we need to just buy hard assets or something because yeah. the inflation is just crazy. But I honestly yeah. think even in Sweden, which the, the central bank here keeps saying that we have a 2% inflation, um, even, even people here in Sweden are kind of questioning them. The, 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 the central bank actually came out like two, three weeks ago saying that uh, we think we'll, we have around 2.2% inflation. Uh, but we've excluded energy consumption as well from it. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, how many things can you exclude <laughs> from a, like, transportation, energy, uh, and living expense? It's like, well, I mean, of course there's no inflation. If you're going to exclude all the big chunks of costs, exactly. uh, anything, it's yeah, it's, it's silly. It's silly. But yeah, yeah it is what so it is. So one thing that we... What we learned is when we studied all of these inflation indexes around the world is, is um, at least in sort of the major economies, what they've done is they switched, they created this basket and they built a census model, right? So they went out and saying these 20 households represent the 80 million across the US, for example, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and they built all of their models off these 20 households, or maybe they're 20,000, or I don't mm -hmm. know the exact number because they don't publish that. But off the back of that, they then go and say, okay, so that's the model that they've used. And then they've gone and said, these are the basket items. And then they switched it to what they call a lifestyle approach. So if you like meat, they can then say, oh, chicken, steak, you know, pork, beef, uh, sausages, you know, so, oh, 
chicken went up. Oh, let's exclude chicken and let's go with beef because beef stayed consistent. So we'll just calculate beef as the meat category, for example, right? And so what, they've nuanced it really well. Did you find any, when in your studies, did you find any kind of countries that were doing a good job? Like they were like, oh, these are actually pretty good. Like these are pretty fair. I mean, usually it was the sort of the smaller countries that were actually trying to provide a, a better insight. But I, I, to be honest, most Western countries and even a lot, most countries are, are very nebulous, right? And any country, I haven't actually found, it was really the countries that are like, that are already huge inflation and you know it, yeah. right? And they don't <laughs> yeah. rely on, they rely on the dollar anyway in those countries, yeah. right? So in their mindset, they're trading in dollar or Euro or in Europe, mm -hmm. it was usually the Deutschmark, which was the stable coin, right? Which if you will. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if you think about it in crypto, we've done the same model. We've just created mm -hmm. the stable coins, right? We've given mm -hmm. them a name, right? And, mm -hmm. and if you were, I remember when I would go to Czechoslovakia or Turkey, everybody would be thinking in Deutschmark, right? Or euros, why? Because yeah. that was the stable coin, whereas my yeah. in, you know, inherent, the native currency was, oh, it was gonna fluctuate, it was so volatile, I wasn't yeah. sure, right? And yeah. so we did the same in crypto land. Yeah, yeah. Funny. Yeah. Oh, anyway. But um, yeah, I think there's lots of opportunity in, in this new world as we go, you know, uh, global. Um, and I think you are focused also on identifying what demands are there going to be from this Web 2 generation as they come into Web 3? Who are the fintech users out there today? What are they looking for? in DeFi, for example, right? Why FinTech, why not DeFi? Oh, mm -hmm. FinTech, I get 5% APY maybe, which is more than TradFi where I get 0.5%, <laughs> but in DeFi, I get 20% or 18%. Ooh, over time, I think there's gonna be that migration. How do you see that? And, and, and what's your thoughts in, in that space? Yeah, I, I, think, um, I think it's interesting because like, um, as soon as you start moving from, as you said, uh, TradFi and then FinTech and then into uh, DeFi, when you start creating like, let's say DeFi protocols and you're, uh, you're saying, let's say, let's play with the idea that you and I, we set up a company and then we, we, we say like, okay, uh, p deposit your uh, USD here and we'll give you a 20% um, APY. It's like, okay, 20% API, is that even possible? Then you and I, let's say we go UST with uh, Luna yeah. and Terra. I know you yeah. uh, like them. So, uh, so let's say we go there, we, like we go to Anchor Protocol. Okay, they're, they're giving yep. us 19%. Um, and they're like, okay, but can we risk taking someone's money and then losing it in a, you know, either the UST yep. uh, unpegs or Anchor gets, um, you know, hacked or whatever. So we're like, okay, we need to find insurance products now. And then we start looking at insurance products. Okay, okay, can we have double insurance? So I think the more we kind of, the, the more people start um, experimenting and onboarding people, they realize, okay, we need to have some sort of security because I wouldn't be comfortable starting a, let's say, uh, uh, an app with a limited company that would take on people's money and then something happens in a third, I mean, something that I, I don't control and yeah. I, I, I lose my stuff. 
and the yeah. customer loses its its uh, wealth. So I think the more real life use cases are uh, developed, I think the more this industry evolves. Like yeah. now, there's like three, four insurance companies or protocols. Yeah. Sorry, more. insurance yeah. protocols, or even more, just on yeah. on uh, Terra. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's evolving, oh. and after yeah. a while, it's gonna be so seamless, uh, and everything's just gonna work, you know, the way people are used to, with the same kind of UX UI. It's not super difficult to keep track of your keys. It's 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 a familiar environment, but instead of just getting the API, maybe you're also getting a part of the protocol or the 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 company that you're supporting by. Um, you know, um, by staking your uh, wealth there. So, yeah, I, I, I'm super excited about it. Honestly, I think it's 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 pretty early. I I mean, I wouldn't. Let's say someone told me like I have a hundred million dollars. Give me twenty percent APY. Ah, I don't. I mean, you know what I mean. It's not like. Would you Would you put twenty a hundred million into Anchor like today? Yeah, I think today, I mean, I would definitely feel comfortable with doing that. And, you know, it's so funny. I, I actually spoke to somebody sorry, the other day. Sorry, and... sorry, just to clarify, 100 million of someone else's money into Anchor. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's, that's a very that's, <laughs> you. You. Right I mean, you're on the risk. You're on the risk spectrum. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> you, you, you like calculated risk, but like yeah. some people don't even want risk. They're like. Yeah, so that's kind of my uh, thing here. Like, do I do I trust the the? Then again, like, do I trust if I have a hundred million dollars, do I put that into a a bank account? Well, yeah. that's the option I have today, or I just buy Bitcoin. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it was funny. I was talking to somebody the other day. I mean. And I never, I, I, this is the first time I heard somebody put 10 million phantoms into tomb finance. And it's like, wow, you know, that's, that's times $2. That's 20 million US dollars into tomb finance, which to me, I thought was like super, I mean, even for me, a calculated risk, right? Um, that was like, wow, you know, bulls, man, bulls on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think I mean I'm I'm personally try I personally try to not you know, um, I mean I can dabble but I try not to take default default risk, yeah. and anything. Yeah. Um, so, so when someone says like yeah you could put your Bitcoin into uh, you know to uh, uh, BlockFi and get a few percent or whatever, I mean I understand the the idea of it and I I mean I I. If you want to do that, that's fine with me. But I just good, feel yeah. like with with five percent interest, uh, but you then have a default risk. You have the risk of losing everything. Yeah. I don't know. I just I don't see the risk reward there, because uh, because yeah. then I can go just buy you know some uh, pref stocks and get eight ten yeah. percent. Sure, it's not on Bitcoin. But still, uh, so I don't know. It's I'm 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 torn. Sometimes I feel very, you know, exotic in my risk calculations. But sometimes yeah. I'm like, eh, I don't know. I just um, I think there's le but, levels. I guess I don't know. What are your thoughts exactly, on that? Exactly. 
And I think that's 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 the that's the beauty of all of this, right? I mean, in a way, you have the right to choose, and there is a choice out there for every risk profile, right? Some people super risky, some less risky, some medium risky, right? And so across that spectrum, I can now play with all these different products, and ultimately, the higher the risk, the higher the rewards, but also, you know, the the likely of losing everything or 90% of it or something like that, right? So, yeah. Um, and I think that's the beauty, that choice, right? I love that choice. Yeah, look, guys, thank you. Vahid Tusi, founder of HODL, um, a SPAC listed, Scandinavia, innovation, crypto, nifties, uh, nft.se, and all of the you know Scandinavian URLs. Um, thank you super much. I really, uh, we always have great conversations. So just love these conversations yeah, and hope the audience finds it. And maybe they give us some comments down below and, and we'll find out what they say. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having me on and um, see you soon. Yeah, we'll see you soon. Um, oh, there's Dubai coming up, right? There's the Dubai Bobbing oh, yeah. yeah. Week, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I'm going on Friday in a week yeah. from now. Um, yeah. There's the launch of a new game that I find very interesting, actually. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Time will tell. Ooh. Actually, I have an interesting game I might share with you. I just met a really cool development team. They came up from the mobile era and, and really solid background. So I'll share that with you as well. If I know you're into the gaming space as well. Mm, a lot, so. I like it. like ah. it. <laughs> okay. Cool, Thank man. you. Right. Thank you. Great. Always. Bye. This was Stefan Roost and Vahid Tusi. You can follow Odelspack on Twitter at Odelspack, that's H-O-D-L-S-P-A-C, and Vahid at Vahid Tusi, V-H-I-D-T-O-O-S-I. You can also follow Stefan on Twitter at sroost99, that's S-R-U-S-T-9-9. And you can find the Super Excited with Stefan Roost podcast on all major podcast platforms and on YouTube on the Stefan Roost channel. Thank you for listening.